Hello, I'm Chris Oakley, and you're about to hear episode 15 of the Football Attic Kit podcast. Our guest for this episode is John Devlin, author and illustrator of the True Colours books on kit design. Our interview with John proved to be an enjoyable affair as we discussed the origins of the True Colours project, the success of the books, and much more. In fact, we enjoyed talking to John so much that two whole hours passed by before we finally called it a day. As a result of this extended recording period, we thought we'd present this podcast in two parts. This is the first. The second will also be available for download via the Football Attic website and iTunes in the not-too-distant future, so don't forget to look out for that. For now, though, here's part one of the Football Attic Kit podcast, episode 15. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to you all. My name's Chris Oakley and this is episode 15 of the Football Attic Kit podcast. Not as long running as Last of the Summer Wine, but slightly more amusing. Um, speaking of slightly amusing, here's my good friend and colleague, Rich Johnson. Hello, Rich. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I'd rather you have introduced me on that than the uh, Last of the Summer Wine link, to be honest. <laughs> Just call me Compo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, we will be uh, sliding down the side of a hill in a bath a bit later on. Um, uh, before before that, though, uh, we should apologise for our absence last week. Circumstances beyond our control, as ever. Uh, but we're back, back, back. And this week we have a special guest, just as our way of saying sorry about last week, as if you were demanding some form of recompense. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the man, the myth, the legend, John Devlin. Hello, John. Uh, Hello, Chris. Hello, Rich. TV's John Devlin. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> God, it lasted about a couple of minutes before you said it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> if you like, we're not you. worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> Off your knees. So, um, John, what's it like to be reduced to doing podcasts now? You're a megastar. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to say. And the, <laughs> what's worse is this is the second best kit pod. <laughs> uh, yes. um, it, it hurts, but it's the truth. Um, yes, it's good to have you on board, John. Um, Thank and, you, Chris. Uh, Thanks for well. asking me. Yeah, not bad at all. Thanks. Yeah, pretty good. Good. Excellent. Excellent news. Um, uh, as ever, we have for you some uh, kit news, which will be coming up in just a moment. And then after that, the main feature of this presentation, and that is uh, we're going to be talking to John all about the uh, True Colours books and indeed all the spin-off bits and pieces from it. Uh, for those of you maybe who own copies of uh, True Colours and love the books, you'll hopefully get to find out a bit more about that whole project uh, in due course. And we've got a kit off vote for you uh, a bit later on as well. But uh, as ever, we start off with kit news. In fairness, not a lot of kit news going on. It's that point in mid-season. There's kind of new league seasons starting up here and there. I think at the moment, literally as we speak, I think the uh, Chinese Super League is being played. Uh, I would give you a live uh, update on the scores, but um, well, <laughs> there's no other way of putting it. I can't be bothered. Um, but um, <laughs> but there's been a few of the uh, the clubs taking part in the Chinese Super League releasing their new shirts this week. Um, in our crib sheet, which as ever is available on request, um, we've just uh, put in a picture of the Shanghai SIPG home shirt, which um, is basically the, 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 the Nike vaporware template. But we've included it because they've sort of Nike have done a, something a bit different with this, in, which is that they've sort of incorporated a stripe into the design and the stripes sort of alternate between red. The shirt is red, uh, sort of red, solid color and a kind of I don't know how you call it, like a red gradient kind of almost like black. Uh, made up of sort of little very thin lines. Um, I'm probably not describing it very well, but it just we've, I've kind of included it in the crib sheet this week because um, it shows that Nike are trying to kind of expand the appeal of the template, if you like, by kind of adding in new elements. Um, I don't know if you've seen that one, uh, John or Rich, uh, if you have any thoughts on that. No, I haven't seen it, actually. Um, hmm. I'm just looking it up as we're speaking now. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, do you know, it looks all right, doesn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, it's not bad actually. It's um, as I say, the, the sort of it's a it's a sort of funny old pattern that they've included on the on the on the stripes, but it's kind of quite nice the way they've done it. Uh, yeah, Richard, yeah. I think 
<clears throat> I, I think the thing I like about it is, I mean, I, I actually love the pattern on it, but you, to be honest, apart from the neck on it, you wouldn't necessarily immediately guess it's the vapor template because no. the sleeves don't follow any of the previous templates because the sleeves on the vapor template tends to be either these sort of very thin lined um, yeah. sort of uh, alternating colors or just plain, whereas this has actually got the main body pattern on it on the sleeves as well. So it doesn't quite look like it follows that same template. So it's a very nice shirt, actually. And as you know, I am actually a fan of the Vapor template anyway, weirdly enough. I was going to say the Chinese Super League, sorry. uh, (laughs) I was going to say say I'm a fan of Shanghai SOPG Home. I know, I'm just thinking (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so there we go. So um, the uh, the Nike Vaporware template trembles on. Um, But um, of perhaps more interest to those who like something a bit more niche, uh, is a new jersey that's come out um, just recently. Rich, which I understand it's a, a, a Calgary limited edition jersey. Is that right? It is indeed. And of course, it's a limited edition one. So I've got my eye on it. I think it's. <laughs> I think it goes on pre-order on March the 10th. And I think they'll start selling them, like actually shipping them out on something like about a month later or something. Uh, it's basically, I mean, limited editions. I, I've always said, you know, sometimes these days limited editions seem to be for any old tosh you know and i I can understand the reasoning behind this i'm not quite sure why they've chosen now to actually release it as it's uh, basically it's to celebrate their uh, only scudetto win uh, from 1970 so Mm. quite why they're releasing that in 2017 Mm. i'm not entirely sure because that's you know that's not 35 years or 40 years it's just it's a random number of years later but it's very nice. It's a so it's yeah. It's a very old fashioned shirt. Um, <clears throat> probably in the I think it's based basically based on the same shirt they wore in 1970. Uh, and similarly to what Joma did with the recent Toulouse one, uh, there's hardly any Macron logos to be seen on it. I'm, I'm guessing the logos are probably on there somewhere. But looking at the the images, it looks like it's not at all. So they've gone for a very nice traditional look. So yes, I will be trying to get my hands on that one. If you look at their 1970 kit, it's a it's a pretty close copy actually. Um, yeah, which is surprising. It's lovely, isn't it? Really nice. Mm. Yes, but it can't beat a lace up collar. I always say, definitely. Very nice. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering whether they've done a sort of white sort of stitching of the logo on on white. You know, the old white on white trick. Um, you've got to sort of look for it a bit harder. Maybe I don't know, but uh, hopefully more images will come to light. On that, I'll tell you what, though, it does seem to be a trend in recent sort of um, limited edition kits. And I mean, I'm talking like proper limited edition, like, you know, kind of retro ones, um, that they are starting to hide the logos a bit more because I think Mm. you used to get them and they they would still have a prominent uh, manufacturer's logo, which kind of took away from it. Um, Whereas now they're kind of very much going for that. Because I think the thing is, they don't need to because they get enough publicity from the selling of the shirt in the the first place. And everybody connected with the club knows it's made by Macro. And to be mm-hmm. fair, actually, I think Macron um, and, uh, well, I think the other one was Joma, but Macron certainly seems to be doing quite a nice line in the limited edition ones because I think they've um, taken over 1860 München uh, in the last couple of years um, from Allsport and they do the Oktoberfest shirts. And the, the two they've done have both been very nice. So I think Macron do them quite well, to be fair. Mm. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd agree with that. Um, so a nice sort of vintage era shirt there for you, if you like. Um, and, um, well, I mean, the, I suppose the big news, if you're interested in sort of elements of shirts and such like over the last week or so, as we're recording this is the news that, uh, your premier league shirts are going to have sleeve sponsors, uh, starting from next season, um, which is a, an interesting development. What do you make of that, John? First of all, I I Googled that to find out more about it and realised that this was first kind of put forward back in November last year. It seemed to, it certainly slipped my notice and I think everyone else's. So it it shouldn't have been a surprise to us that it was coming. I think it's great. It it makes perfect sense. Sleeve sponsors are relatively inoffensive. They don't, they're they're unobtrusive. And at the moment we've got whacking great tournament patches on there. So why not take one of those off and get a bit of extra revenue from from a sleeve sponsor? But you know me, I'm, I love a sponsor anyway, but I, I really don't see the problem. And I think we'll we'll just come to accept them very easily. Yeah. And your thoughts, uh, Richard, good or bad? 
<clears throat> I totally agree with John. I, I mean, I'm, I'm the same as John. I love a good sponsor on it. In fact, I love a good lot of sponsors on a shirt. <laughs> um, hence, why I was trying to get hold of that recent Argentinian club one for um, the one with the 50 <laughs> sponsors on it. They did come back to me eventually on Twitter, and they said, no, they're not selling it at the moment. So that was oh. disappointing. Um, but hey, but but segueing nicely into sponsors, <laughs> um, there um, Austin Long pointed this out and said maybe one for the podcast to discuss. You're damn right, it is Austin. Um, this is uh, basically the cultural students of Peru, uh, and <laughs> basically the shirt is just covered in sponsors. I mean, the actual shirt itself is quite a wacky design. It, it's sort of a red shirt with what looks to be a kind of zigzaggy uh, horizontal zigzagging white stripes but the white stripes themselves make look like they're made of sort of lots of little circles or something it's a crazy shirt but then on top of that it's got so many sponsors on the back of it that the actual numbering uh for the kits is ha- has had to be shoved to the side almost under the armpit <laughs> it's brilliant it's, and the funny thing is is the actual adverts on it aren't just sponsors logo they're full-on like adverts you'd see in like uh you know like um in a sort of news agent window or something because they've actually got you know phone numbers on it and then uh, full-on pictures it's literally like an advert board <laughs> <laughs> I, wow. think it's, I think it's, it's great. I mean, it's hideous, but I, I want to own one as usual. <laughs> yeah, it takes takes all sorts, I suppose. It's it's carrying things a bit too far. Let's, let's not be just a uh, bit. anyway. Yeah, mm. but um, but all the better for it, really. I mean, it's just kind of <laughs> bonkers, really. Um, it reminds me of someone who's been let loose on word art in Microsoft Word. Yes. Or something. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, um, the actual adverts <laughs> themselves look like really cheap clip art things as well. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> Comic Sans and stuff like that. Yeah, all the different sponsors. Yes. So, uh, so yes. Thank you, Austin, for that. And um, good news, and that is that um, you know, despite the fact that we were away for an extra week last week, um, we're actually recording because we normally do these podcasts sort of every two weeks. But we've got another one going on next weekend that we're recording. And if all goes to plan, we should be speaking to Austin Long. So uh, we're really looking forward to that. And we're keeping our fingers crossed that technology works. Uh, so uh, we're going to be talking about MLS kits with uh, Austin. So uh, It's a worldwide special because we'll have three different time zones going on. Yes, <laughs> it's tricky enough sort of linking up New Zealand with England. Uh, but uh, I was going to say, which, which works out nicely for you two. But for me, it means I'm starting a podcast at about 11 o'clock at night. Mind you, I think you normally do that anyway for these, Chris. So I shouldn't know. Yeah, well, there you are. So you just don't don't complain, don't knock I'm it not. till you've tried it. Um, so anyway, there we go. But that that essentially is our kit news for this week. As I say, not a lot going on. We could have just talked about Chinese club shirts and stuff, uh, you know, for half an hour. But we thought uh, that would be uh, not particularly interesting. Uh, but if you have any interesting examples, feel free to send them through to us, and uh, we'll actually. I just wanted to make one point. Um, <clears throat> there's been quite a few Japanese kits being released uh, recently. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing with the Japanese league is that their kits tend to be quite wacky to start with. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is there's a lot of kits that normally, under normal circumstances, if someone released a kit like that, I would be all over it. But I think my issue with the Japanese kits is the fact that because all of them are usually quite sort of odd in some way they usually have some kind of crazy design feature it i kind of don't have any interest in them because mm. it just makes them all kind of the same really it's like you know when something like you know when someone like la jolla loca comes along and releases a broccoli kit that's like oh my god that's amazing because or, or, or hideous you know as 99 percent of the population thing um but it's it's unique but i think the, the in the j league there's so many kits that are kind of quite wacky i really like them but they don't really do anything for me because they are just one of many you know they're not mm, special mm. in any way um but that was just a personal thought when you mentioned the sort of chinese these i was just thinking actually yeah there's been quite a few japanese ones that have come out which again in the on the face of it look really nice and i do like them but it just because everybody has a similar sort of theme going on it's just meh okay yeah one more <laughs> Funny enough, over in Japan, as I understand it, they're really into their kits there, and there's lots of um, lots of kit books out there <coughs> documenting wow. kit history. I've got I've yet to kind of get my hands on one, but um, yeah, I know Amazon Japan often has certain things like that on there. I'll try and dig out some links for it, but they're really into it out there as well. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Oh, that just that's, um, feel like going off and searching for some of those books now. Actually, I'm just intrigued. <laughs> yeah, that's so right. they, Ditching they like the podcast. <laughs> 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 Goodbye. No, anyway, uh, we must press on. 
Uh, yeah, well, that's that's your kit news, uh, which means that we are now straight into the very meat of this podcast. We are talking uh, to John about True Colours, football kits from 1980 to the present day, volumes one and two. Um, a, a huge project and an incredibly popular uh, pair of books that were released. Um, I had to remind myself of when they were released. The first one, 2005, John. Where's the time yeah. gone, for heaven's sake? Do you know what? I panicked a few years later and thought, I've got to get another book out. And now we're 11, 12 years down the line. It's um, it's even more worrying. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. It does go yeah, too crack quick. on, John, for God's sake. I know, I know. <laughs> Lazy. God, yeah. You know Barbara Cartland, are you, really? <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah, but you, have you seen him in pink lipstick, though? <laughs> I haven't. But if you've got something you want to tell us, then... Uh, no. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, let's 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 kind of go back and put all this into context before we sort of dive in and start talking about the the book specifically, John. Um, as many people know, you're a professional graphic designer um, at, at present moment in time, and um, I'm sort of keen to find out how long you've been doing that. But before even that, um, I was wondering, like, when you were at school, whether there was an interest that you had in, say, art or design which led into your career as a graphic designer? And, and did you go straight into graphic design when you first started working? Oh, crikey. Well, funnily enough, actually, football shirts really was my big, I think that was my interest, my um, way into graphic design, because essentially, looking at colour, looking at logos, looking at type, it is graphic design on, on, on clothing, isn't it? So mm. I think that's actually, I always had that there. So I was obsessed with shirts as a young boy. And I think I might have mentioned before the Observer Book of Football, the little white books. Yeah. There was one edition of that that had these, and I've got it up there, that had these lovely, um, really simple illustrations of shirts. And I was obsessed with it. I thought this is fantastic mm. and instantly drew them all the time. Um, and then I was always drawing them through the years. And I keep meaning to do this. I have got some of mine from the early 80s that I did with felt tips on the back <laughs> of a cereal packet. And I will post them. You have my word. I will post <laughs> oh, them. Fantastic. So I've still got them. Um, but when I left school, I worked firstly for a bank and then worked in the record industry for about eight years, nine years, something like that. Worked for Warner Music and then Polygram. And then left there to study for design. Left there. I, I was doing art stuff, at, um, evening classes did a foundation course and wanted to get a degree. So at 28, I was a mature student. Everyone else was 18 and um, started my degree in graphic design. And it kind of went on from there. Fantastic. That's, that's uh, I kind of know, I know some things about you, John, not others. And I just kind of had assumed that you just stepped out of school, kind of already fully, no. fully fledged with all these skills ready to take on the world. And, and that's what you've always done. But uh, No, I wasted a lot of time and uh, the record industry years were great fun. But they didn't kind of satisfy, if you know what I mean. You didn't. You, you kind of felt like you, you weren't being creative. You were just part of the part of the process. So I needed to do something that was more creative. Mm. What did you do in the record industry? I was a royalty assist, royalties assistant, and then I became a copyright person. <coughs> so I, I would clear music for EastEnders when they had it on in the Queen Vic <laughs> and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah, big, big stuff. And then I worked as a freelance back catalogue researcher. So I'd work on, I did a lot of work on The Jam, um, ABC, lots of early 80s bands, people like Scott Walker, Dusty Springfield from back in the 60s as well. So I used to do a lot of research into back catalogues and compilations and stuff like that. See, that sounds tremendous to me. And if you're lucky enough to follow John on, on Facebook, as I do, and as indeed I think you do as well, Rich, um, you know, you, you'll know that John likes his music and now it all falls into place. It, all yeah, these, it was. Now you know. It was really. I was going to say, this is more interesting than the kids stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, did you ever meet anyone really famous? famous. Other than yourself, of course. <laughs> I, met, I met Boyzone once. <laughs> so, I know that. <laughs> no, they were coming out of one room and i was going in that was quite fun um but yeah we used to see sort of famous people all the time yeah when i was up there get see, used <laughs> <TV's> <laughs> <John Bethany. laughs> name dropping already 
yeah, boy zone. My, my, my <laughs> thing is like, how how the hell do you get a job with a record company? Because that just screams kind of glamour and showbiz to me. And it's like, I, mean, I think I think you'd apply. I think that's how. It yeah, well, work. I'm aware of the kind of general <laughs> procedure. I, mean, I just didn't know if there was probably probably an worked. interview somewhere along the line. You know, well, what yeah. what was interesting though, Chris, is that a lot of people there weren't really into music. They were just there as like an admin person. And I think because I had that obsessive interest, it kind of helped me make contact with certain people and I got yeah. roped into different projects. But the bit, the biggest one was the jam, um, the box set that came out in the mid nineties. I did a load of work for that. Um, and went to the launch party and all that kind of stuff. So it's just because you're, if you've got that enthusiasm about anything, whether it's kits or, you know, that's what can carry you forward. I think. Mm. Interesting stuff. Well, you said there were people there that weren't much interested in music. I presume you don't mean Boyzone. Uh, <laughs> <but, laughs> meant Paul Weller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <saying> now. <laughs> um, there, there may be jam fans listening in. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so uh, what? So uh, you became a you were a mature student, as you say. And so, yeah. when was your first job as a as a professional graphic designer? How did you get into your first job? When I left college in uh, uh, Kent Institute of Art and Design in Maidstone in two thousand and one, and got a job with a company in September, and stayed there for a couple of years. Um, and it was it was it was okay. It was hard work. Then moved to a company called the Design Practice in two thousand and three, and ended up five years ago buying the other director out, and now it's mine. So I kind of bought the company that had been going since the mid nineties, and uh, it's all mine now. And it's mainly me doing it all, which is an immense strain. And why I don't <laughs> always do as much as I can do in football because I'm always I've got to, I've got to take care of business, as it were. The, the day job to take care of. Yes, absolutely. That's I can understand it, yeah. that. Sounds like excuses. <laughs> well, my dream would be to incorporate it all together so that I actually get paid yeah. to do. I'm just, the, I'm the just representing work. the Twitterverse when I speak there. You know, it's, <laughs> that's what you always get. Actually, that's one of the questions we got for later on, but I'm going to ask it now. And that is obviously you've done the two books, and I, I, because I've seen you be asked this many a time, and that is <laughs> actually I won't ask the question itself, but do you get sick of being asked when is the True Colors three coming out? <laughs> no, I love it. I think it's great that I'm amazed that people are still talking about it now. So it's it's mm. it's brilliant, and it inspires me, and it and it will happen. It won't necessarily be a three, but it will be uh, an expanded version of all of it together. That is my plan, and there's several avenues that have coming up to make it happen. So it will mm. happen. Cool, good news, mm. excellent stuff. Um, yeah, so so basically here you are. So you're working. Uh, you're basically you're the owner of your uh, graphic design concern. Um, when let's let's now go to the point of when you got the idea to do the book at what point did you suddenly sort of think i have to do a book well what it was when i was at when i was at college um doing my degree in the second year i was learning a program called illustrator which i know you're familiar with chris and i'm sure many people will be i thought i've got to try and learn this how do i learn it and it was the summertime and i thought i know Little bit, I'll dig out my old kit stuff. That's what I, I've always loved. And I'll try and draw the kits on Illustrator. So it was a means to an end of learning the software. And, and you know, that's how, it, that's how that started. And I made a, a massive study on football kit work my final year of my degree project. Mm-hmm. So I looked at all the kits going back as far as I could, did loads of research. I looked at doing trading cards and posters and prints and books, books wrapped in shirt fabric and all sorts of stuff like that and really expanded on it. Um, and then every year, and I've always done this every year, about August, September time, I'd go to bookshops and just get, just run through the sports section and think, is, is a book on kits come out yet? Mm. No, nothing there. And every year I did it. And it suddenly dawned on me that actually – I've got to do it. I've got to be the person who's got to do this. And as I think, as I thought that, that book Club Colours came out. You know the big A4 kind of size? Good book though it is. I looked at it and thought, oh no, I've missed my chance. Someone's already done it. But it didn't tick the boxes that I needed it to tick. It was still kind of embedded in, um, it wasn't sophisticated enough in terms of copyright with logos and everything else. So I realised that gap was still there. The opportunity was still there. So you're looking at about 2003 now, something like that. And that's when I thought, I've got to do it. It's down to me. You're the man. Yes, indeed. Um, I just want to say at this point, um, 
uh, I'm aware of the fact that doing these inter- we, ha- we haven't actually done an interview like this before on this podcast. We, we normally jabber on about football kits from certain tournaments and competitions. It became apparent to me about like you know 15 seconds before we started recording that actually there's two people that I, I.e. myself and Rich that are normally involved in this podcast. So therefore, in terms of doing an interview, it's two onto one here. So um, I, I don't want to hog all the questions. So uh, Rich, you better kind of uh, ask a few. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was, I was about to jump in at some point. And, um, so I'll try this. Had you attempted to book right... No, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> <so> <laughs> back to you, Chris. No, no. Um, so had you, had you actually ever done anything book-related? Had you actually... Well, I was going to say, not just book-related. Had you ever written anything like professionally, I guess? Because obviously, if you're doing graphic design, that's mostly design work. But had you actually ever written anything before and oh, maybe had it published? Because I know you do. Well, I know since then you've had work in programs and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, no. I mean, um, the first stuff that was ever published my work was the West Ham program. I, I oh, wow. wrote to a lot of clubs back in the early two thousands and said, "Look, I've done this project. Would you be interested in featuring it?" And West Ham ran it over about four or five weeks, which was brilliant. Um, they wrote the text, but I supplied images and graphics and everything else. I think the only thing I'd had had published was, as I said, with the. Uh, polygram days in with the jam i had a discography published in the jam box set book which oh, wow. was really great so that was the first time my name was in print and i also in another book on the jam as well so i did a bit of work there but in terms of writing anything no it was it was a real um yeah baptism of fire really <laughs> and i mean do you uh, do you know anybody uh, did you know anybody that say had anything published in the past and therefore were able to go to them for advice or did you when you had this idea of like right i've got to write this book did you suddenly think oh my god what the hell do i do now was there anybody that could give you advice do you know what chris that's a really good question there was nobody but i'm only feeling the panic of it now 12 years later i'm I'm kind of getting this yeah it's like post-traumatic stress no i just i just kind of did it I just did it. I mean, it was always going to be an illustration-led book, if you know what I mean. So it was always going to be research, archiving, and illustrating, telling that story. And that's what I became obsessed with. But then as I wrote it, the writing is really, I described it as like when you read the papers and it says, what the TV guide, and there's a short paragraph about, you know, Coronation Street or Match of the Day or whatever. It was almost like that. It was the, the notion of saying, okay, this shirt, what's a quick paragraph that says a little bit about that one. So it was almost like pen picks of that, of that shirt. So it never daunted me. It was um, just part and parcel of the project, but it's worrying me now that you've mentioned it. It's bizarre. (laughs) No, 20 years after finishing uni, I still get dreams that I've got coursework to hand in. And and the best part is the longer it gets away from uni, the more every time I wake up and think this is getting ridiculous. Now I haven't been there for 20 years. (laughs) I'm really don't hand any coursework in. I have a dream. The same thing. There was a secret second dissertation we did our dissertation and there was a second secret one that nobody knew about. And yet we have to do that. So I have that dream as well. It must be common. Maybe, yeah. maybe you should both uh, just write something and hand it in and just, yeah. and just get it out of Yeah, find the lecturers have actually retired. So you just trace them down and go, here it is, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Get out of my dreams. <laughs> get out of my head. Um, I, I, it's a, basically, I wanted to know, John, because, I mean, obviously, uh, having written two kit books myself, um, <laughs> and actually not quite as popular um or indeed as good um but one thing that i've always struggled with when i've done mine and i've only done two of the bloody things um and, and they were very short uh, is exactly like what format to do what features to put in what to put in you know it's, it's that whole process because obviously once oh, you've man. got your template it's kind of you've nailed it and then you can just then it yeah. becomes a case of filling in the gaps but try i mean for me just like i mean like i say just doing my books and all mine were was like a picture of a shirt and then a short description but for me i mm. went through agonizing decisions of because like, i changed the format of it for the second book as well because i wanted it to look better it's like i went through agonizing decisions of right how many pictures of shirts do i do i put the backs of shirts in do i do this do yeah. that and it was and it, i literally was driving myself nuts and i kind of almost paralyzed myself to the point of because i had so many things up in the air and mm. it's like this one would depend on that one, and like until I'd made one decision on one of them, I couldn't start making decisions on the other. So I'm just wondering how easy was it for you to come up because the, what you've got is a really nice template, but I can imagine you went through potentially oh. quite a few 
iterations before you came to that definitely there was loads because I was, I was very lucky i wrote i wrote to publishers and um ANC Black showed a great interest. So the process started about how is this all going to come together? And initial layouts that I did were very loose. They were really much more fluid and, and varied. So they would always be different. And it, it kind of settled down into this quite strict format and quite, that's how I tend to work anyway. I'm not always as, as adventurous as I should be. Um, so it became quite strict, but it is all about setting rules. So I had distinct rules that I had written down and I had it on a pin board in front of me on how I treated each one. So I would make sure that they, um, for example, if a shirt the season later had a different badge on it, I might not necessarily show that as a separate kit. It had to have mm. two major differences in order to warrant it being different. Because as we know, so many kits change ever so slightly season on season. Mm. And I thought, this isn't a kit anorak book. It's a book on kits for football fans. So it has to be interesting. It has to hold their interest. Mm. Looking at the same shirt four or five times with a tiny difference on it might not be enough. So I yeah. set myself a lot of rules about what I needed to do. But in terms of writing, which is slightly different, it was really a case of looking at looking at the kit and thinking, okay, what's going on with the design? Why is it the way it is? What's going on on a bigger, wider context? But also, if there's any stories connected to it, or you know, if it's remembered for this particular game, and and that's what led each particular one. So some of them I could have written pages on, and some of them you struggle to you know get to the end of a paragraph. It's uh, it's all varied. So it was it. It's a, it's all about setting yourself these rules and regulations that you then follow. Mm-hmm. I will probably sort of come on to actually the, the, what must have been an immense amount of research that you did, not just for the first book, but also the second one as well. Before we come on to that, I just wanted to ask you, actually, John, I heard you say, I think on another uh, interview that you did, uh, that um, to get that process started, you actually bought a book with like publishers listed in it. Is that right? Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, and so, um, well, first of all, I, I was kind of unaware, showing my naivety here, but I've never had a, a book published, so I wouldn't know, but I didn't really realise that you could get books like that. But having got one, how did that sort of pan out? Did it did it make your job easier in terms of trying to find an interested publisher? And, and were there other things that you could have done, other, other ways of finding a publisher? Well, the way I did it, it, it was the Artist and Writer's Yearbook, or the Writer and Artist Yearbook, and it just listed all publishers. So I thought, I, I you know, did an A4, A5 four-page presentation and talked about, you know, the illustrations, how big football is, because I couldn't understand, probably like you guys, I couldn't understand why people weren't obsessing over shirts. People obsess over players, over stadiums, over Goal, you know, goalposts even. Why was there never any interest in the shirts? And my, my argument was that every moment of football in football history is accompanied by this representation of a team. Why is everyone ignoring that? It's not just always blue or red or whatever. There's all these subtle nuances going through it. And I couldn't, I couldn't get it through my head why no one was as interested in kids. Hmm. So that was always the argument I put forward to the publishers is that, you know, this is the first time this will be done. It's a great opportunity here. Um, and I did. I ran off 12. I always remember it. I printed them out at home and bound them all up and stuff. Ran off 12 and did the first 12 published. And I was going to go through A to Z, go through the book. Mm. And, of course, ANC Black were in the A's. So they, they were one of the first ones. <laughs> and, and I think two other publishers came back to me as well. And I met both of them. But ANC Black were the ones that really um, were really committed in doing it. So that was that was it. So if it had been published by Zanzibar Books, we know that no one was interested. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask, actually, um, because, and again, just, you know, I'm turning this into an interview about my books here, but never mind. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, um, I was going to say, because obviously I was working entirely on my own, so I had to make all the decisions, yeah. but did you find, how was it working with the publishers and did they have much input into it? Because uh, I... I I don't know. And, and again, if you're a creative person, like you clearly are, it's like, would you have found that useful because to have almost like some boundaries or would you have found it frustrating because they'd be like, oh, could you do this? Could you do that? So were they quite hands on or were they just like, oh, happy for you to get on with it? They were brilliant. I have to say they were really, really good. So I gave them a presentation. And they said, right, we're really interested in this, but you have to then, we'll maybe talk about it later, we, you have to go away and get all copyright and intellectual property permissions before we can progress. 
for every single logo. They said, we're not going to touch it until you come into the office with a folder two inches thick of all this, all this paperwork. So that was, so that was going on. That was, and that, that took two years to do that. That was a long, that, and now this is why it's been so difficult to do another version of it because of that paperwork. You have mm. to have that done. Um, but in terms of design and content, they were, they were fantastic. I, I always remember going, because they were based in Soho Square, and I always remember going up there and showing them my visuals. And I've always been, I've always been very lacking in confidence when it comes to like my design skills. And I remember, I remember going in there and showing them these page layouts and they said, well, well that's brilliant. That's it. That's what we're going for. <laughs> there were no changes. I even determined the size of the book because I said really? Look, the best, the best size to draw to represent these kits is, is this. Therefore the page needs to be this size. Therefore the book needs to be that size. And they went, yeah, great. And they just went <laughs> for it all. So, it was incredible. And when I, when I look back on it now, they, they advised on content, they would edit it and everything else. And that was, um, that was always really good that they'd come back and I had to learn editing marks, like what the little squiggle means and what this means yeah. and what that means. And then I had to go back because I did all the artwork as well. I did all the layout, all the artwork and just gave them finished artwork files. So I think they got quite a good deal because they had the whole package. All they had to do was, Print it and market it, I guess. I'm just wondering. If, <laughs> That's a big part. I was going to say, I'm just wondering if uh, this is, was this the first ever book they'd published and they had literally started <laughs> the week before you contacted them? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. You know, they've been sitting in an empty office for a couple of months. Yeah. When's someone going to pitch us a book? <laughs> well, no, it was, it was, I mean, obviously they do the, I think their biggest thing is the wisdom, uh, the cricket guides, you know, the uh, things that come out every year and they publish yeah. who's who. So they had some big, big names there. Um, but they were great in terms of letting me determine the content, but even the layout, that was the big thing. The only thing they insisted on doing was the cover because they said the cover is the most important thing. Therefore that needs to be in our, in our style. So that was, that was fine. I had no problem with that at all. I'm just I'm so, amazed yeah. actually. I know when, when you say that, you know, you dictated the size and the shape of the book at that point, I would have expected them to sort of say, look, you know, we can see you're eager, but we're the publishers. We know how to shape and size the book. And I'm, I'm absolutely gobsmacked that they just went, yeah, I mean, you know, with all due respect. Well, do you know what, Chris, it's really, as I said, I've always had, I've always been lacking in confidence in my skill, in my abilities. And I came out of that building and my first thought was, bloody hell, I do know what I'm talking about. Because I think <laughs> up to that point, I hadn't, I've never believed that. But I yeah. think I'd gone in there and they'd just gone for it completely. And I thought... I must have, I must be doing something right here. It was, so it was a big confidence booster for me, which is probably what I needed at that point in the project, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Are you, I think you said in the introduction to the first volume of the book, it took you four years to, to get to the point of publishing the book. Is that about right? I mean, it's, it sounds like, and it sounds like two of that, two, two you know, of those years were actually contacting people to get clearance on all the logos and things. Yeah. It, I don't know it probably you, was it. It probably was actually, Chris. It was because I, I started probably as I left college, and then yeah, four years. And and as I say, those two years I was working on the research as well. So it was spending enormous amounts of money on books, programs, trying to get as much information as I could. And I still had loads of stuff from when I was a boy, mm-hmm. all my little drawings and sketches, and adverts and magazines. I had loads of stuff, catalogues. That was my big thing. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of material I could draw on. Um, but of course the internet, I wasn't, I wouldn't say it was in its infancy, but in terms of kit stuff, there was nothing. Nobody mm. had done. I think, um, when I came around to do the second book, I think kit classics had started. So I'd seen a few of the bits they were doing, Andy Burton was doing, but there was nothing else on kits. And I always tell this anecdote going onto eBay, cause I used to look for kits everywhere, trying to mop up everything I could. And, um, I used to look on eBay and I'd, I put in third kit. And there'd be three pages. So third kit, three pages on eBay. Wow. Now, put in third kit Barcelona, you get 50 pages. Because that illustrates the difference of the material that was out there. Mm. So a lot of it came from, um, came from me, really. Wow. Uh, in terms of trying to find this stuff out. And, of course, that's why there's a few gaps. Because I think, I think the only way you can be sure of every kit that's ever been worn is to have a photo from every single game that's ever mm. been played. It's the only way you can do it. And, and I'm and sure we found, you know, that's, that's how it is. 
I was just saying, to be fair, given the thoroughness of the content of your books, it seems for all the world like you have managed to find pictures of every kit from every match, even though that's like impossible. But um, I mean, it's just one, sorry, to cut across you there, Rich. No. I'm going to like, go with the next question, but I was just going to say, um, like, you must, you said you've, you've bought lots of uh, you know, magazines and catalogues and books. At what point? Like presumably just before you became completely bankrupt, did you think, I think I may have bitten off more than I can chew here because I'm having to get so much research material? Oh, do you know, again, you're giving me a worry that I never had at the time. It's coming, coming back to me I'm now. so sorry. I think it's, and, do you know and, what and it folks, is? the reason TC3 isn't happening is because Chris has sort of sent John into a catatonic <laughs> oh, state. No, I think it's because I loved it so much. Yeah. I had that passion for it. So... On the one hand, like all different layers. On one hand, I'd be uh, researching kit history and piecing together who wore what when. Mm. On the second hand, I'd be phoning every club, every sponsor, every every manufacturer. I used to phone everyone, every single person I spoke to, and then got an email and then followed up and went from there. And then the third hand was spending loads of times in the library looking at old um, companies' house information, trying to figure out who the hell owns Heritage Hampers now when they were busting <laughs> oh, wow. like the late 80s, yeah. stuff like that. Because all these, all these little firms that sponsored someone, you think, okay, they're not going now, but who owns them now? And yeah. somebody will always own that brand. So that was like a detective world. But I just got stuck in. I took time off work and, you know, just got into it. So that became a fun part of it as well. And also it helps you understand in a way where especially where sponsorship was coming from what was going on in football commercially mm. why these companies were were sponsoring their local teams and quite often it was like the the head of the company has been a lifelong fan and wants to put his money where his mouth is and it's yeah. these lovely little stories were coming out well i was, I was going to say actually on on the note of the amount of detail that went into it <clears throat> once the book's out there how do you deal with people then nitpicking about things? Because I, I think, funny enough, I think actually one of the first <laughs> things I, yeah, <laughs> well, I think one of the first things I actually said to you when I first got to know you, John, was that um, I think I left it a while until it was, you know, we were, we were kind of on, on good speaking terms. And I actually said, do you know, by the way, that the uh, you've done the collar of the Contra City Hummel 87 to 89 kit uh, with a blue sort of like yeah. uh, main thing of whereas actually it was a sort of white cream color and uh, i don't think you ever applied to that particularly but i, <laughs> I, noticed, know. That when, I noticed that when we did the 50 greatest football shirts ever it changed <laughs> well, <laughs> it proved i listened to you though rich it proved i listened well, exactly, to you yeah but i'm just wondering how how much did you get of that because obviously i think when the first book came out obviously the internet and like twitter wasn't around facebook wasn't around so it was it was less immediate feedback you'd get people i suppose yeah. leaving comments on your on your site which you did have at yeah, the time yes, right. and also you know people would email you um but i'm just running uh, and, and people are still discovering the book so how often do you get little things like oh did you know that you've got this wrong and and actually <laughs> i was gonna say how often did you get it and how do you deal with it when it happens does it bother you no i mean it panicked me at first i'd get that hot and cold feeling and you think oh no and when there's a big mistake and there's a couple of biggies in there there's a couple of big mistakes in there um but I always remember very, very early on, the publishers sat, sat down with me and they said, there will always be mistakes in a book. It is impossible. There will always be a mistake or, or, or mistakes. You have to deal with that. And that was it. And whenever you put anything out there into the, into the world, you have to deal with the criticism that you'll get. And I've had some, of course I have. And some of it's been quite hard to take. There was one review in When Saturday Comes and some guy said i had no prose style whatsoever which was quite which was quite harsh um but you just have to deal with it and there's a couple of there's a couple of um i think it's a man united arsenal game i got the scoreline the wrong way around and it was a massive game but of course you're immersed in the book and there's so much detail there there's going to be mistakes you know yeah i mean this is something i was going to ask you actually john i mean in terms of you know, actually piecing together the book or books. Um, you know, it's one thing to sort of say, you know, I illustrated all the kits. And it's another thing to say, I wrote the text. But you were doing both. And I know just by uploading bits and pieces to my Kiplist website and, and stuff like that, that if, mm. you're, if you're working on a, a big um, project, and, I'm, and nothing I've done 
can even hold a candle to the True Colours books. You 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 have to while you're illustrating the kits, you're obviously doing research because you need to know yeah. like you know when a certain kit was born or blah 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 blah. You so did you have a sort of system for keeping on top of like having the text and what kit that that text matched up with if that makes sense because i if it were i know from doing something <laughs> vaguely remotely the same you, you can start going out of your mind you think hang on this kit i'm illustrating now was that 1978 79 or was that 76 77 and and what match was this one more and and then you think i've lost yeah. that bit of information it, the sheer amount of information graphical and text wise in your books how on earth did you kind of keep on top of it to keep it together? Because it's no surprise you might get the occasional scoreline wrong. Blimey. Yeah, well, it was, you know, it's it's funny. You've reminded me of something that I'd forgotten. <laughs> Not something That's else is stressful, is it? Oh, my God. No, no, it's just a positive thing. <laughs> when when looking at the actual layout of the book, because it became quite um, standard, if you like, quite simple in its layout, that was part of that process because it became like a scrapbook for me. So I mm. could lay out all these columns of, of text and images and I always could refer to it so if I got a nugget of information I'd go to my um, Quark or InDesign whatever I was using at the time software file go into it and add that information and that's where I began to document so it became like bit by mm. bit I could piece them together and then go back and rework it into some kind of text and, and prose or whatever you want to call it so it became it became a, a functional tool and that's why when I went to the publishers and said, look, it makes sense that I do the artwork because it's how I'm documenting my mm-hmm. history, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's a really good question, but that's that it, it kind of was a um, form follows function kind of thing. Yes, yeah, it sort of lends itself, I suppose, to being able to look. Because when I sort of do illustrations and things, I'm, I'm literally doing only the kits, the, the kit illustrations. And yet I need to know. Mm. For, you know separately you know all the, all the additional information I, so i'm kind of having two systems going at once sort of you know writing the text on one hand and doing the graphics but i guess you're oh, laying okay. the page out so you can actually kind of yeah. get the information right there but you've got it exactly there that's right chris you've by having the text on one the work the illustration on the other put it together and there's your artwork so <laughs> it's that was the common way to do it but uh, but there was many fun times of, of getting programs and when you're looking for that little nugget of information and you know that there was they wore an away kit, but what was it? And you'd have to buy the programs after the match they played in. So they'd have the photos of it. Right. And the amount of times I'd get a package from eBay or whatever and looking through it thinking, oh, no, there's no photos of the game. And then right. finding one in another edition. And it's a tiny like four inch square black and white image. And you have to then make an educated guess as to what that kit looked like. That was the fun, the fun, bit, the fun bit of it. Well, that's kind of answered one question I was going to ask about that. But, oh, yeah, sorry. I mean, that, no, 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 no. That's it's. It's. I mean, you're you're answering questions as you're going along. Is you know. So, uh, but that's wonderful. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, again, personal experiences that when you're illustrating kits and you, especially if you do uh, create an illustration with sort of a sequence of kits, uh, mm. one after the other. Um, and you need to get the detail right. I mean, did you again? Sorry to cut across you, Rich, just throwing in an uh, off-the-cuff question here. But I mean, was there ever a point anywhere in across either book that you published where you sort of thought, "I don't think I can finish this book until I've actually know that I've got that detail right on that kit." Otherwise, what's the oh, point of it? You know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you, you yeah. put everything in and it's all correct, or you sort of think, "Well, I can't if I don't complete this." If I don't get that detail right, either somebody's <coughs> kind of complaining that it's wrong or, or you know, whatever. Was it any- well, it's, it's a little bit, but not a huge amount, because I I think at the time we're talking pre-social media here, so you you didn't have that instant feedback and that massive amount of criticism that you can get nowadays. So that wasn't going on. And also, it sounds really funny, I guess, people didn't know because nobody mm-hmm. had gathered this material together before. So, you know, I can make a mistake and get away with it, I guess. I was just hoping that there'd be a a lot more in it that was right, that was wrong, if Mm. if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, um, I thought you've got to, you've got to, you've got to go for it. You've got to try it and have that passion behind it. Mm. Because if I didn't do it, what, how else is it going to be documented? And I thought it was too important to look at this design, social, cultural history of, of design, of, of kids as they went through the ages. Mm-hmm. Sure. It was too important to for me to gather that all together. 
Well, I was going to say as well, I, I know that, um, and because I, I think you've talked about this before, when you were putting the first book together, um, I think, was it Sheffield Wednesday that just refused full stop mm. ah. to allow you to do it? Well, with with the first book, I had, we hadn't, we hadn't actually decided what teams were going to go in there, the publishers and I. Um, and I had loads of work done. I think because when I started the book in, uh, started my kit project at college in 2000, 2001, you know, Coventry was still in the Premier League. So I was doing Coventry. I was doing Leeds. But by the time the book had really started to gather pace, these teams had dropped way, way out of the top flight. So I had about, I don't know, 15, 16 teams done and was working on them, on all of them, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, and there was about, I think I totaled up for the first book, there was 110,000 words I'd written that we then had to, before we decided what teams were going to go in it. And ANC Black said, it needs to be the Premier League of that of this season. So that kind of determined how that went. And you just, you just that was our kind of um, benchmark, if you know what I mean. Sure. Yeah. Um, and because I was going to actually ask you, I mean, I guess there's kind of two things really um, with regards to the structure and the content of the book, really. The first thing you have to kind of settle on is which teams you were going to feature. And you yeah. just answered that. Because, I mean, there's, frankly, there's so many teams out there. You could have had a free choice of any team you like. Um, but at some point you have to kind of nail it down and say, right, I'm going to focus on those. So I suppose in some ways it may as well be the Premier League. Mm. Um, but the other thing as well that I wanted to ask is in terms of like the composition of the illustrations, your kit illustrations have a very distinctive style. You've got oh, okay. your shirt and then you've got the shorts with the socks to one side. Um, did you spend a lot of time kind of working on different versions of that and, and how to arrange the kit? I mean, like, not <laughs> be copying me because you wouldn't know me at the time, but when I'm doing kit lists, my, the, style i developed on my website was like to show the kit on a sort of yeah. full human figure as it were um other other people doing similar oh. websites have got their own style how, to, how long did you take sort of trying to just nail that original composition <laughs> months and months and months <laughs> it was such a it was such a long process i had full figure kits i thought <laughs> about doing originally when i went to the publishers it, believe it or not god i've forgotten this it was actually just shirts and shorts I don't think I had socks on there. Um, and then they said, no, we've got to see the snow. It wasn't, I forget how that worked out. It might have been when I was at college, actually. I made a, sorry, I'm lying. And yeah. someone said, no, we've got, to, we've got to see the socks. So I had to then do the socks and research mm-hmm. what they were. Um, but it took a long, long while. And where the inspiration came from, I mean, my original drawings were relatively crude, I guess. But there was a, a bit of artwork I came across when I was at work and I really liked the way they'd drawn the, how they'd even just put slight ripples and it was unbalanced and it was, I liked the way they'd done that. And that became a style I borrowed in terms of using the stitching and that as well. And the layout itself came from an ad in match or shoot from a football shirt, small company, not a big company. And they just had a photograph of a kit. And it was laid out kind of like that. It wasn't exactly the same, but I looked at it and thought, well, you know what? I wanted to put together a graphic that was that was cohesive, that was all joined together. So it didn't, it wasn't three separate elements. It was all placed together. And I looked at that and that was my inspiration for doing it in that style. It meant sacrificing that bottom corner of the shorts and the bottom of the shirt. But I figured that was a, that was a, you know, a small price yeah but i looked at the back doing the backs of shirts doing full figures reflecting the length of shorts and the length of shirt um sleeves because obviously they changed dramatically in the 80s and i had to come to a decision again richard talked about it earlier making these rules my rule was i've got to keep it as simple and and um what's the word the same all the way through not concise but um yeah so I didn't want to vary because it's going to be difficult. And I looked at the shirt, the shirts themselves consistent. That's the word. The shirts themselves were almost a blend if a player was wearing them and if they were laid on the, on the table. Mm-hmm. And that was the style was like a mixture of both. Because if you laid a shirt on the table, quite often they're not that aesthetically pleasing because they're, they, do you know what I mean? They kind of yeah. stretch out a bit and everything else. So that was the thinking behind that. Mm. I was going to say when so when the two quick questions when the book was finally published then uh, mm. first question what was it like actually seeing your own 
book in bookshops because obviously you'd get a copy yourself and that's one thing but to see it in an actual bookshop is is a whole other thing do you know what i don't think i'd ever forget those 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 feelings that the buzz the the sensation of it is is incredible and when you first get it in your hand you think bloody hell you know it's all this work it's done but to see it in waterstones where i lived in maidstone and to go into london and see it in bookshops there and see it in wh smith's it was massive, you know, and I always used to put it to the front of the book pile. I'm sure as all authors <laughs> do and quite regularly. I'd always go in and just take it out like water stones or blue water. I'd take it out, look at it and put it at the front and, you know, and, do, and, and luckily because it's an odd shape, because it's a landscape book, it always, it always poked out. And that's something ANC, yeah. ANC Black Light, the fact that if you look at a row of books, it sticks out. So there was a kind of a, a nice, <laughs> a nice sort of, that wasn't a deliberate thing, but it was a nice bonus in a way. But yeah, Rich, it's did something you, you can't can't beat it, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, did you did you ever find yourself phoning up Yellow Pages and asking if they had a copy of it? <laughs> J.R. Hartley's. Well, yeah, yeah. I've had many J.R. Hartley moments, believe me. <laughs> mainly, mainly on eBay and Amazon, because quite often people, you know, I want to get a copy of the book for somebody, and I've got, I have actually got quite a few. And if I see them cheap anywhere on eBay, I do tend to buy them up. Because I think when I'm old and greyer, I want to have good copies here. Because I've got my copies, and my original ones that publishers gave me. And, of course, they're knackered. They're really tatty. It's nice to have pristine ones. Um, but, yeah, I always, I always feel a bit of a bug getting buying something off eBay. <laughs> it's my name that they're sending it to. It always feels a little bit humiliating. But <laughs> it's like, it's like, The seller's going, oh, my God, this is embarrassing. He's buying his own books back. The, you know, it's, the like, best, it's like Alan Partridge. Yeah. <laughs> the best, yeah, exactly. It's like a vanity thing. But the best thing that it was, though, my dad, um, bless him, he used to go to his bookshop in Hampshire, the, 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 work, the, the works, because I think they were selling him at one point. And he'd go in and he'd always be buying them for friends and relatives. And he used to go into the works in Hampshire. And he used to tell me, he used to phone me up and tell me. And he's quite, he was quite elderly, my dad, at the time. And he said, um, he said, I bought a book. I bought one of your books today, son. I went, all right. He said, and I said to the guy, this is my son. My son wrote this book. And the bloke said, yeah, I know. He said, you told me the last time you came in to buy one. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really nice. <laughs> it's really nice that my dad was so proud of him. You know? That was a big yeah, deal yeah. for me. A real big deal. I was going to say, the second thing I was going to ask was, having then, when it was actually published, when you looked at it, was there, apart from mistakes you must find, was there anything you looked at and thought, oh, I wish I'd done that differently? Because um, obviously, with, I mean, obviously then when you, that would then follow into the True Colors Volume 2 book, because obviously once you've done that, was there, a, a, was there any right. part that you wanted to change, obviously, or... Did you want to keep it consistent or was that a publisher's thing? No, do you know what? <coughs> There's a few things that relatively shortly afterwards I'd like to have done more of, but not not really. I mean, some of the, because I chose all the photos that went in it as well. So some of them I thought, mm, okay, I might have chosen a different one there because I tended to go for either Scottish players. That was my my sort of like secret thing. If you look through the book, a lot of the players are Scottish. That's just by accident, maybe. Um, but no, I don't think so. I mean, uh, the second book was slightly different. There's a couple of, there's one, in the first book, there's, I think there's one kit that hasn't got a drop shadow on it because all the, all the kit illustrations have got a drop shadow and there's one that hasn't and that bothered me. <laughs> maybe, if you, maybe there's a prize for someone if they can find what it is, okay? I've never find, noticed that, to be honest. No, <laughs> there's one kit without a drop shadow. If, if anybody can do it, I'll send them something, okay? I promise. Not YouTube, guys. Me and Chris have got a head start on this. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I was going to say, all these, these Scottish players, I'm, just, I'm looking through volume one as I speak, and I'm sort of seeing Tony Morley, Ian Wright. Who are these Scottish players? Oh, maybe it was found. Colin Hendry, I've finally found. So there maybe, you it was volume, maybe it was volume two, Chris. I think I'd yeah, gained I a think, little bit more I'm confidence. I'm sure Gary McAllister was picked for illustrating Coventry. I'm sure he was. Well, it might have been Dion Douglas, yeah. actually. He's not Scottish. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I've got Alan Brazil for Ipswich. There we go. <laughs> I put him in because I thought he might mention me and talk sport, but he didn't. But that was well. Actually, I was about I was about to make a joke then, but that actually brings on a serious question. I was about to say then, uh, is that why there's no goalkeepers in there because it's Scottish? But but I was actually going to say, at, uh, was there any consideration of? Putting... <laughs> I know that's because uh, anyway. Moving on. Um, yeah, you have to be in it to win it. Um, <laughs> right, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 
what was I about to say? It was about goalkeepers. Oh yeah, goalkeeper kits. <laughs> was that an immediate kind of no? We're not doing that, or was that considered at all? Because obviously, I mean, I, I I don't know about everyone else, but me, I don't consider goalkeeper kits as part of a kit. If you see what I mean, because because mm. they sort of don't yeah. follow the actual outfield kit, and sometimes it can be just completely. <coughs> excuse me. They can be completely um, different from everything else. So I personally don't yeah. regard goalkeeper kits as football kits in the same way <clears throat> so i was just when wondering I if you actually considered doing them i would for two for the next version i would i will want to put them in that is part of it but at the time it was very much a kind of not a purist point of view but it was like saying this is the visual identity of the club this is what the club are known for this color this shirt nothing else really that's that's the key of their visual identity and you're quite right a green goalie shirt or a multicolored goalie shirt doesn't quite reflect that. So it was always playing on the idea of a team playing red, and that's their identity. And when they have to change, they, they can't wear red. So what do they do? Do they change identity? How does that work? So it's all kind of like art school philosophy questions coming into it as well, which, you know, just from my background, I guess. But all those things about, um, it's like Coke and Diet Coke, same product, but completely reverse colors Mm. is it still a stronger brand and it was all about those kind of questions i wanted to ask so goldie kits i would like to do them now because i love goldie kits but it wasn't a thing i think we talked about it and the publishers weren't keen on that either um so that wasn't a problem yeah not to put them in well that's all we've got time for on this the first part of the football attic kit podcast episode 15 don't forget to look out for part two coming soon to itunes and the football attic website www.thefootballattic.com Thanks for listening, and until next time, it's goodbye to you all. Goodbye.